Good evening and thanks for joining us. There are growing concerns tonight for a Coquitlam dog walker missing now for more than 24 hours. Annette Poitras set out on the trails of Eagle Mountain with three dogs yesterday afternoon and was not prepared to be out overnight. Our Grace Key joins us now from search headquarters. It's been a miserable day, Grace, challenging for searchers out there. What's the latest? Well, the latest is they have now called it a night. Search and rescue crews in the van behind me, they're just pulling out here shortly. This rain is coming down hard, and of course, that does have growing concerns. Views will just stagger. It's been a wet and cold past 24 hours for searchers as they continue to look for a missing dog walker at Coquitlam's Eagle Mountain. There is now mounting concern as the search is about to enter its second night. Night is approaching. The weather conditions are severe. The terrain is dangerous and slippery, and as a result, we are going to have to scale back our search and rescue efforts and our investigation overnight. 56-year-old Annette Poitras set out with three dogs at about 2 o'clock Monday afternoon. She was last heard from at 3 p.m. when she spoke with someone on her cell phone. Her vehicle was found in the parking area. About two dozen searchers have been looking for Annette since last night, including aerial support, but still no sign of her. And uh, we're going to find her. Annette's husband says she's usually home by 4 p.m. to pick him up. Well, there's a number of trails up here. She typically comes up here when she has the older dogs because it's easier trails. She's done these trails many times. She knows these trails well. This is video from Annette's dog walking Facebook account. Her husband says she's retired and always wanted to have a dog walking business. Searchers say she is known to look for new trails while out for a walk. They've covered the marked and unmarked trails, but still no sign of her or the dogs. Says she really loved all these dogs and, you know, who knows what happened, whether one of the dogs went, went off trail, we really don't know. But it, it is a bit unusual that none of the dogs have, have come back to civilization. Well, Grace, there have been plenty of people who've been wanting to help in the search. What are police saying about that? Yeah, there's been certainly a lot of people just coming out on their own and searching the area here. And police are really want to get the message out for them not to come here. It really hinders their investigation. They have their own dogs out. It contaminates the area. And again, rain is coming down hard. It's dark. It's wet. It's concerning for their own uh, expert searchers. So you can imagine as somebody's out on their own without that experience, they have great concern for those individuals as well. Sophie? All right. Thanks for that. Grace Key and Coquitlam. And some breaking developments late today involving a UBC student battling a life-threatening autoimmune disorder. Shanti Anaquad got the incredible news today. She's been approved for the expensive drug treatment Solaris. She agreed to speak to Global News about how this could change everything for her. And John Waugh has the exclusive interview. It's like you go from planning the end of your life to planning the rest of your life. Shanti Anaquad making BC history from her hospital bed. People don't have to be that scared anymore, that they know there's something that's going to help them, that they can try. Diagnosed with the rare autoimmune disease AHUS, the 23-year-old, the first patient to get Solaris as a publicly funded treatment in this province. The drug, which can cost up to $750,000 a year, can now be approved by a special committee on a case-by-case basis. You feel hopeless, and that's a horrible, horrible feeling. And now a lot of people have a better chance, which is great. Since first sharing her story 10 days ago, the journey to this point has been a painful one. It felt like, yeah, the forever fight that was 
that wasn't going anywhere. Shantae's mother forced to watch her daughter's condition deteriorate, her kidneys fail, while government determined her fate. At least now, the future holds some hope. It means that, that she gets to come home, something we weren't planning before. So oh, um, it's, uh, it's so exciting. As one family relishes their victory, BC's battle to bring the cost of the drug down has only begun. The ministry is strongly objecting to the excessive pricing Alexion, the pharmaceutical company has set for Solaris. But experts say Canada's province-by-province -province approach puts it at a disadvantage. And previous attempts to negotiate with Alexion using a national body failed in 2016. By comparison to all of our peers, we are actually very weak negotiators on the world market for pharmaceuticals. One message from the mother at the centre of the Solaris fight, protect suffering patients from becoming pawns. They could have relieved a lot of stress on our end by reaching out and working with us. But with Shante Anaquad's first dosage of Solaris scheduled for Wednesday, it's not time to focus on yesterday. Hopefully I start feeling better ASAP and I can start with my life again. Because tomorrow is what she never stopped fighting for. John Hua, Global News. Mechanical noises and suspicious structures tipping off RCMP to what ended up being a major marijuana bust. Almost 4,000 pot plants were seized from a home in the 4600 block of Sweltzer Creek Road in Chilliwack. Three men were taken into custody and later released. Charges are now being recommended. And Richmond RCMP releasing this sketch in connection with a suspicious incident that occurred near Whiteside Elementary School last week. RCMP say a 10-year-old student was allegedly grabbed on her arm by a man in his 40s or 50s. RCMP say the same man was allegedly photographing the area with his cell phone just prior to the incident. The suspect is described as Asian, 5 foot 7 to 5 feet 10 inches tall, clean shaven, with black hair and a medium build. An Abbotsford woman lost part of her finger trying to save her miniature poodle from being mauled to death by a neighbor's pit bull. The attack happened over the weekend. Sadly, the little dog died. But Jeff Hastings explains how the victim's Rottweiler likely prevented her injuries from being much worse. She hasn't dealt with it yet, so she hasn't come out here after the first day. A tiny grave in an Abbotsford backyard, Oscar's resting place. The young poodle killed over the weekend, attacked by the neighbor's pit bull. Oscar and his brother Tony, a Rottweiler, seen here in happier times, were doing their business Saturday morning when the big dog next door attacked. He came through the fence over there. You can see it's a little bit dug in it, but disturbed. Oscar's mom doesn't want her identity known. She not only lost Oscar, she lost a large part of her finger. Well, I have a bite here, bite here, bite here. I almost lost this one. Thank God they didn't. It was chaos. Snarling, injured dogs, a terrified, badly hurt woman and a pit bull out of control and out for blood. To look at my hand to see there's a piece of my finger missing and reaction, grab my fingers, screaming my face off, screaming, trying to run back home. It's believed if the Rottweiler hadn't leapt to his friend's aid, the woman would have been much more badly hurt. He went for the little guy and I think that's why Tony, my big dog, saw that and he tried to kind of defend and me being in the middle all this happened. While the Rottweiler recovers from a serious injury, a proper memorial is being planned for the little dog. I can't even say bye to him properly. Because <sighs> I was rushed to the hospital. 
The red-nosed pit bull was 14 years old, long with the same family, and never displaying any aggression, according to its owner. Can you please just let them know how sad and upsetting this whole thing is? And I feel very horrible for them. That family will never have to see that dog. He will be destroyed. The pit bull is in the pound. Its fate not officially determined. No one thought it was capable of this. Jeff Hastings, Global News. Check out this prowler caught on video surveillance at a home in Deep Cove. A cougar walking up the front steps of a home on Caledonia Avenue. Conservation officers say they get regular reports of cougar sightings. It's not uncommon for people to see cougars uh, in and amongst ravines, uh, such as the Lynn Creek Ravine or uh, the Deep Cove area uh, has many watersheds. Um, Typically, that's all they amount to. They're sightings, they're non-threatening, no aggressive behaviors displayed by the cougars. Well, to avoid conflicts with cougars, conservation recommends that homeowners remove unnecessary vegetation around their home where cougars could hide, put fencing around the backyard, avoid feeding pets outside, and improve outdoor lighting. A visit to Victoria by the governor of Washington state is renewing calls tonight for high-speed rail between Seattle and Vancouver. Keith Baldry joins us with some of the details on this. And Keith, Washington state governor uh, Jay Inslee sure seems enthusiastic about this plan. Oh, yeah, he's enthusiastic about a lot of things. He gave a very well-received speech here on the floor of the legislature, a very rare event, the first uh, Washington State governor in 33 years to deliver such an address. As I say, uh, a number of uh, rounds of applause on a number of issues, but the issue that caught a lot of people's imagination was this concept of establishing a high-speed rail link between Vancouver's and Seattle, imagining, imagining uh, able to get to Seattle in one hour instead of that three, three-and-a-half-hour torturous drive at times. That's what he's looking for and calling for. His government has commissioned a $1 million study, a feasibility study, on whether this thing can actually fly or not. Uh, Afterwards, both he and Premier John Horgan talked to the reporters about that. Again, the the, uh, governor, very enthusiastic. John Horgan, though, warning, there's a few wrinkles that have to be ironed out before we get there. I will just tell you, uh, I'm bullish about this corridor between British Columbia and the state of Washington. I believe that we have nothing but, uh, uh, should have nothing but optimism about our growth potential. And growth potential will be accelerated to the extent that we can travel uh, in an hour rather than three hours in safety and comfort. If we're going to have high-speed rail, we need, we're going to need to have uh, border checks, customs activity done along the way. Because if we stop for an extended period of time at the border, we're defeating the purpose. Now, the governor says that study, which should be out uh, in a couple, you know, about a month or so, shows there will be high demand for this service. And in terms of financing, it's expensive, but it's expected to be self-sustaining on the financial front. Chris? All right, we'll see what happens. Thanks, Keith. But first, there is a chance the Winter Olympics, or at least part of the Games, could return to B.C. in less than a decade. As Ted Chernecki reports, a new report on a possible Olympic bid by Calgary suggests saving money by holding some events here. The world's best bobsledders are in Whistler for this weekend's World Cup, amid talks of the Olympics coming back to Whistler, at least at some yet undetermined venues. I think that's great. We've got the best bobsled track in the world. We've got great skiing here, so I could see it being a really good, positive thing for the Olympics. Last night, City Council in Calgary agreed to spend another $2 million exploring the idea of bringing the 2026 Games to not only Calgary, but Edmonton and Whistler in an effort to share some of the $4.6 billion cost of hosting the Games. 
do we make our finances back at the end of the day? And if the answer is yes, I'm all for it. I'd love to have the Olympics here, yes. Probably not. Every other city that I've seen that have won the Olympic bids become destitute. Calgary's ski jumping facility is out of date. It would cost $100 million to replace it, so why not use Whistler's newer tower? But an economist who studies major sporting events believes Calgary is a bad idea that gets worse when you start including Edmonton and Whistler. So any Olympics bid is usually going to overstate the benefits, understate the costs, stick the taxpayers' money when it's done. He believes all but the 84 Summer Olympics have lost money. Where would Whistler house the athletes, for example? And what about the intense security costs? And would the feds and province even pitch in? We haven't seen anything about it yet, so it's, it's a little too early to comment on anything. But uh, we'll be happy to have that, have that conversation when it does. And sharing venues potentially dilutes that feel-good quality that comes with hosting. And besides, Vancouver just experienced that. Still, proponents believe it only makes sense to reuse that infrastructure. What we really have to do in the Olympic movement is reuse these facilities because uh, they're being built all over the world and it just doesn't make sense to keep on adding more at such great cost. Bidding for the Games closes in January 2019. Ted Chernaki, Global News. Well, it's not snow, but freezing rain that's causing problems for some commuters today. Meteorologist Christy Gordon has a, uh, joins us now with a look at where it's an issue. Christy? So if the concern is for people traveling east of Hope this evening, both the Coquihalla and Highway 3 are under a freezing rain warning. And this is extremely dangerous because the highways actually look fine to the naked eye. There's no snow. They're just wet. But in reality, they could be sheets of ice. And the freezing rain shouldn't change until to just rain until the overnight period. So hold off on those routes until tomorrow morning. All right. Thanks, Christy. We'll talk to you in a bit. Before we continue, some breaking news now in the passing of a 1970s teen heartthrob. People magazine is reporting tonight that David Cassidy has died at the age of 67. Best known for his role as Keith Partridge on the series The Partridge Family, Cassidy died from organ failure. He had been in intensive care since being hospitalized for liver and kidney failure last week. And now a follow-up story to uh, our story last night that shows fraudsters appear to be taking advantage of emergency financial help that's supposed to be for BC, uh, victims of B.C.'s wildfires. As Nitu Garcha reports, the government and the Red Cross can't explain how much aid money might have already gone to people who didn't deserve it. As the Red Cross continues helping those hardest hit during B.C.'s worst wildfire season on record, the charity is also being hit with allegations of fraud. It's unfortunate there will always be individuals that do uh, try and take advantage of the system, um, and that's why we do have mechanisms in place to ensure that they are not um, able to access assistance. Williams Lake residents say they were contacted by the Red Cross after multiple benefits claims were made using their home addresses. Give me the names of 20 people who supposedly were registered and lived at our house. He didn't recognize any of the names. The city's mayor got a similar call from the Red Cross. I said, well, how can that happen? I said, because uh, if, if you use my address, I would get the check in the mail. And they say, oh, no, no, we do it all by e-transfer. And I said to them, that's your first mistake. A Clinton resident who spoke to Global News by phone says she lives alone, but was told by the Red Cross on Monday five people had registered under her home address. The Red Cross not confirming whether the fraud occurred or how it could have happened. Clearly this year's uh, fire season was unprecedented in this province and there was a significant uh, relief effort underway. 
And what I am hoping is that these are uh, isolated incidences. Solicitor General Mike Farnworth says the province is working with the Red Cross to investigate. Do you know if any money was actually paid out by the Red Cross to people falsely claiming under that is what we're still trying to determine, uh, and we're working closely with the Red Cross to get all the details to get to the bottom of this matter. $600 was offered to displace families, another 600 for those who couldn't return home for more than two weeks, and another $300 per household when they returned. People should have confidence that when they donate to the Red Cross or when government provides funds to people in, in times of disaster relief, that it's going to, uh, to people that, uh, that truly need it and not uh, individuals trying to uh, scam the system. A system that will ensure thousands of dollars intended to help fire victims don't end up in the wrong hands. Neetu Garcha, Global News. RCMP have a suspect in custody in connection with a pair of home invasions that sent two residents to hospital with serious injuries. It unfolded yesterday afternoon in Kamloops. RCMP say a man was returning home from work when he found a stranger in his house. A struggle ensued, and the, pre- uh, the resident there received serious injuries, including lacerations to his head. RCMP say the suspect then ran from that home and broke into another one nearby. That homeowner was inside, and there was another physical confrontation that left that resident with stab wounds. Then the suspect left that residence, and an off-duty police officer in the neighborhood saw him and uh, initiated his apprehension by following him and uh, the suspect got into a, another vehicle that was in, uh, in another residence driveway and the off-duty police officer kept him there until other officers were able to arrive and arrest him. RCMP say the investigation is ongoing. The 31-year-old suspect is known to them. Thieves targeting wineries in the Okanagan made off with tens of thousands of dollars in equipment and product. The two overnight thefts happened last week, and police believe they may be connected. Global's Shelby Tom explains why the location of the wineries may have something to do with why they were targeted. But we've never had a break-in like this before. Okanagan Falls wineries are being targeted by thieves. So they loaded up tons of wine. Ten cases of wine and up to $40,000 worth of equipment stolen from Liquidity Wines, 24 kilometers south of Penticton last Sunday. It appears that they went and basically booted down the doors and then ripped off the doors into our office. Three days earlier... It happened within minutes. I think it took about three minutes. Nearby, Wild Goose Vineyards was hit, a Ford F-250 pickup truck and flatbed trailer stolen. It's just a violation. It's, you know, you think that you're in a safe environment and you've got neighbors around you that watch out for you. We have all the security cameras, you know, around the premises so that we can see what's happening. And, and still, you know... You don't think that things would happen in your neighborhood at four in the morning. Liquidity Wines now ramping up security. We've just put on steel doors that only open out, so those you can't kick in. We're going to put in more cameras. The small business owners lamenting the lack of policing resources in the small South Okanagan community of 2,500 people. I, I think what you need really is more police presence in this area, but it's tough to do because we are removed from Penticton, really. We don't have the detachment here, and and I think that the people that are doing this kind of stuff, they know they're aware of that. The truck has been recovered in Oliver, but all other stolen property remains missing. Investigators are asking anyone with information on the two suspects to contact authorities. Shelby Tome, Global News, Okanagan Falls.
What a sight for witnesses of a major fire in a high-pressure gas line in Michigan. The company that owns the line shut it down and let the fire burn out. The original explosion, though, left a crater five meters deep. No injuries have been reported and no word on what sparked the fire. At this time last night, he had been suspended from network television. Tonight, veteran broadcast journalist Charlie Rose is out of a job, fired by both CBS and PBS over allegations of sexual misconduct by at least eight women. As NBC's Stephanie Gosk reports, it's let, uh, pardon me, it's left Rose's co-host struggling for answers. Accusing you? You want to say anything to those accusers, the people that's accusing you of all these wrongdoings? It's not wrongdoings. Less than 24 hours after a Washington Post article alleged Charlie Rose sexually harassed female employees for years, the 75-year-old is out of a job. In a statement, the president of CBS News announced Rose was fired, writing in part, No one may be able to correct the past, but what may once have been accepted should not ever have been acceptable. Charlie does not get a pass here. This morning, Rose's CBS co-anchors spoke out with a mix of anger and sadness. Let me be very clear. There is no excuse for this alleged behavior. It is systematic and pervasive. Women cannot achieve equality in the workplace or in society until there is a reckoning and a taking of responsibility. I'm really struggling because how do you, what do you say when someone that you deeply care about has done something that is so horrible? In the original report, eight women accused Rose of a range of allegations from groping to exposing himself to lewd phone calls. In a statement, Rose apologized, adding in part, I am greatly embarrassed. I have behaved insensitively at times, and I accept responsibility for that, though I do not believe that all of these allegations are accurate. The Washington Post now says more accusers are reaching out, a lot more. Within hours after the publication of our story, we already had you know, more than a dozen emails from women who wanted to come forward. And Reporter Amy Britton says five of the original accusers decided to remain anonymous, fearing Rose's reaction. They were concerned that he would possibly try to derail their careers if they spoke out. More controversy for Uber tonight as the ride-sharing company is under fire for covering up a hack that stole the personal data of millions of customers and drivers. Uber released a statement today admitting the attack last year compromised the personal data of 57 million riders around the world, and drivers as well. The hackers got names, emails, addresses, even driver's license numbers, but no credit card or social security numbers. Uber paid two hackers $100,000 to return the information and keep it quiet. The company has fired its chief security officer and his deputies for covering up the hack. The search for a missing submarine off the coast of Argentina could be entering its final hours tonight. As Kier Simmons reports, the crew's air supply is now the biggest concern. Tonight, desperate hours for rescuers, knowing the submarine may have just one day of air left. Hopes fading for the 44 crew. And now, a look inside that missing submarine. Video recorded when the Ara San Juan was recently refurbished. This is where the sailors may now be trapped. But sounds thought to have come from the sub yesterday. Another false alarm. Seven days uh, is probably close to the end of realistic hope. The submarine was designed to evade detection. 
but now it may be too low to send up a snorkel, which would provide a crucial air supply. The 200-foot-long vessel packed with equipment, leaving cramped space for its crew, while on the lower decks are large batteries feared to have short-circuited. This is a diesel submarine, and so it has to come up for air. Today, 200 loved ones have gathered at the submarine's base, hoping for any news, but fearing the worst. Keir Simmons, NBC News. IKEA is issuing a recall, or renewing a recall rather, of some of its dressers after the death of another child. The company originally recalled 29 million of its Malm children's dressers in June of last year. At least seven children had been killed after an unanchored dresser fell on them. Despite an extensive safety campaign that saw IKEA email 13 million reminders for children to stay off the dressers and for parents to anchor them to a wall, now an eighth child has died. IKEA is urging customers to take immediate action to secure the dressers or return them for a full refund. First responders are faced with an endless variety of challenges as they do their jobs. But one particular situation can, without education and understanding, end in tragedy. As Catherine Urquhart reports, a new program is teaching police, firefighters and paramedics how to deal with the often unexpected and unorthodox reactions of people with autism. They may have a stem, like the stem, they, I know a little boy that this is his relaxation. It's the latest training for firefighters across BC. And it's not about flames, but autism. It would allow them to evaluate the scene, figure out uh, the best approach. If it can get someone, from, instead of escalating, de-escalate them from harming themselves. Joining firefighters are police, paramedics, and 911 operators around the province. All of them are teaching staff how best to communicate with people on the autism spectrum. When we go into a situation and we're trying to make those split-second you know, determinations of what's going on, having training in autism and understanding some of the nuances and complexities makes our officers better equipped to deal with those situations and help resolve things and keep things calm and peaceful. What's going on? That knowledge will help prevent devastating confrontations like this one in the U.S. last summer, when an officer misunderstood a teen's repetitive behavior and arrested him. The first responder training is a joint initiative with the Pacific Autism Family Network. One of the things um, that is so important in this first responders initiative is that the agencies train their own. So firefighters train firefighters, police train police. They've asked us to work with them and we're so thrilled to do that with our autism charity. For firefighters, this new information is welcome. I don't think anybody wants to, to be at a call where you, where you, you don't know what to do. Uh, especially dealing with children, so I think it's very important what's going on here. And when that next call comes in, knowing more about autism could prove invaluable for firefighters and all first responders in B.C. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Just in time for Christmas, a warning that this doll could compromise your child's privacy and safety. The details right after Christie's forecast. Our Squamish Bureau Chief... 
my mom, said it was a <laughs> terrible drive up the 99 to get back home this afternoon. Oh, I bet. A total soaker, probably pooling water on the roads. And that's what we can expect, unfortunately, for the next three days, everyone. I'll show you which areas have the rainfall warning in a second. But freezing rain warning again, Coquihalla Highway 3. We expect that risk of freezing rain right through tonight. And do not head out on those roads until tomorrow morning, I would suggest. So that's this area in red that has the freezing rain warning in effect. But really, we have a risk of freezing rain across much of the province. The warm air is moving in from the southwest. All of these areas still have that cold air entrenched, so it'll transition across the province, moving north and east over the next 12 to 18 hours, basically. And here's a great example of that. This is all snow, rain down below here, and can you see that pink band? That means that we are seeing freezing rain between Williams Lake and Quinnell right now. So that's Highway 97 in that area, potential freezing rain in that region. And then even through the south where you see just rain, the higher elevation mountain passes still have that risk of freezing rain. And that's why we have that uh, freezing rain warning in effect. Here's an idea of what it looks like north of Quinnell, uh, heading up to Prince George on Highway 97. There is a snowfall warning in place for all of these areas extending up into uh, Terrace as well. A good 40 centimeters of snow could fall. And then on top of that, that risk of freezing rain as it transitions to rain. So it is going to be messy out there. And it's all because of this Pineapple Express that we're seeing. And for us, that means a rainfall warning. We are going to see rain on and off, heavy at times, as uh, Chris's mom uh, said. So just nasty out there on and off for the next three days. All right. So for northern regions, snow for you, Terrace and Smithers. Terrace and Kitimat in particular, 40 centimeters. And then, yes, that risk of freezing rain. Uh, not as much snow in for Fort St. John, Prince George, down to Quinnell. But you still have that risk of freezing rain, even through the day tomorrow. And that extends over to Valmont and Golden for lower elevations. These areas here will have warmed up. So we're talking about just rain for your area through the uh, day tomorrow. You can see your temperatures and double digits for the south coast. Potentially 16 degrees as our high in uh, Abbotsford and Chilliwack as an example. And uh, we're expecting basically the rain to continue with 150 millimeters by Thursday. Ouch. Uh, happy birthday to three women. Marianne Brown, Gladys Cook and Elsie Christensen and an anniversary for you tonight. A happy anniversary to Lil and Norm Ricketts. All right, you two, back to you. Happy anniversary Thanks, indeed, Andy. after 70 of them. <laughs> an American organization has released its annual Trouble in Toyland report on dangerous toys, and one warning is quite shocking. Yeah, the U.S. Public Interest Research Group says this doll... Uh, called My Friend Kayla, can actually be used by complete strangers to interact with children. It can actually be accessed on a Bluetooth connection without a password, uh, which means that she can be used as a headset, um, a speaker, or a mic. What this means is that a stranger can use Kayla to spy on your kids and talk to your kid. It's a little creepy. The doll has already been banned in Germany, which has actually classified Kayla as an illegal espionage apparatus. Parents there are being urged to destroy or disable the high-tech doll. This whole thing is weird. That's, that's where we're at now. With that dog, that doll is worse than Chucky, apparently. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. True. Creepy. Or that one in The Besties. Conjuring. What was the name of that one? Oh, that's going creepy back. One. No, no, no. It wasn't that long ago. Really? There's a few other. I have some creepy looking. You know your creepy dolls. I know my creepy dolls. Uh, my G.I. Joe freaked me out, too. <laughs> Serious. He had wow. kung fu grip. All kinds of good stuff.
in uh, Squire Sportscast. Coming well, up right I'm going to start with the Canucks mm-hmm. because they just keep doing it. But first, uh, the great comeback story of Derek Dorsett has hit a bit of a snag, and hopefully it's not a big snag. Dorsett was sent to uh, see a specialist in L.A. today because his neck and back were stiffening up on him. He, of course, underwent surgery last year to help fix his neck issues. The Canucks felt better safe than sorry. Let's send him to the doctor, find out what is causing the stiffness. His absence meant that Brendan Gauntz got to play tonight against the Flyers. Canucks starting a six games in 10-day road trip in Philadelphia. Shot comes through. Flyers score here, Ivan Provorov, but the Canucks felt it shouldn't have been a goal because watch Brock Besser get interfered with before the shot that went in. No call. Well, you just made Besser mad. You will pay. For Tannen and the Sedins together, it's Daniel Sedin with a breakaway. He, does he, does he? They said no at first, but uh, yes, that's a goal. 1-1. Remember how they upset Besser? Here's how the kid pays you back. Watch him go. Watch the shot. There's a vapor trail on it. Just a laser. And it's 2-1 for the Canucks. Power play now. The Sedins with Besser. Daniel, nice pass. Brock Besser finishes it off. Another look. Daniel Sedin's closing in on 1,000. I think he's four back now. That made it 3-1. to one. Another Canuck power play. Power play doing the work. Causing trouble down low. Eventually the puck finds Sven Berchi. Easy. 4-1. to one. It's 4-2 and the net is empty. And look, it's a Louis Erickson goal. His first of the year. Well... Considering he gets $6 million a year, that's a $6 million goal you just saw. All right, 5-2, Canucks are in Pittsburgh tomorrow. The uh, mysterious death of a 16-year-old volleyball player in Peru has involved Whitecap star Jordi Reyna. He was at a Sunday house party where the girl was found collapsed in a room. There were a number of people at the party, including Reyna. The Whitecap said today in a statement that Jordi Reyna went to the police himself to discuss what he knows about what happened. No charges have been laid, and the police have yet to determine how the young lady died. Uh, Two strange things happened to the Seahawks last night. They lost their second straight home game, and they lost on Monday night. Usually they're great on Monday nights. And Seattle, because of that 34-31 defeat at the hands of Atlanta, is temporarily out of a playoff spot. They nearly forced overtime on the final play, but the uh, Blair Walsh project... Just didn't have enough leg. 52-yard try to tie it and send it almost certainly to overtime. Blair Walsh straight down the middle and short. The missed field goal said it all. The Seahawks came up short in their game against the Falcons, just short. It was a Monday night that caused a lot of Tuesday morning quarterbacking. Not because of the missed field goal at the end of the game, but because of the one Seattle passed up on in the first half to try a fake. And it's a fake. John Ryan flipped it forward, and that did not work. We were prepared. We worked on it. We saw something that we liked. We didn't expect the nose tackle to make the play. You know, we, we thought we'd get him knocked off, and we didn't. Um, so, it, you know, it, it didn't work out. But uh, that was being aggressive and going for it, trying to get a touchdown there. The Seahawks are the eternal optimists, never ones to look back in anger. 
They rallied from early mistakes last night and nearly sent the game into overtime. And they have six games left in the regular season to get themselves back into the playoffs. You know, I think for us, we, we move on to the next week. We, we still got a lot of things ahead of us. We had a really good chance to, um, I think, be first in, in the NFC West tonight and, and everything else. And unfortunately, we didn't. Um, but there's a lot more football to play. There's a lot more challenges ahead of us, and we can't get discouraged now. Right, yeah. All right, Champions League action, Sevilla and Liverpool. This game was wild. It's already 1-0 Liverpool. Sadio Mane gets his head on it. And now it's 2-0 Liverpool, and we're only 22 minutes in. And then Mane down the left side. And Roberto Firmino makes it 3-0. 30 minutes in, it's 3-0 for Liverpool. But now it's 3-2, and they're in extra time, and Sevilla is going to tie it. Guido Pizarro, 3-3, the final. Sevilla comes all the way back from being down 3-0 after half an hour. And now the, the ceremonial exchanging of the cheap pennants, and let's go. It's uh, Feyenoord and Manchester City. Not much happened in this game until the 88th minute. Raheem Sterling, Man City wins it, and they win their group. 17th straight win for Man City, 1-0 over Firenood of Rotterdam. There you that go. looks so easy, the give and go. Oh, I know. Then why don't they score it, 100 goals in a soccer match? Because <laughs> there's 11 guys between you and the give and go. That's true. All right, yeah. thanks a lot, Squire. Let's check in with Jada Rant now for a look ahead to Global News at 11. JD. Thank you, Sophie. Rescue crews have been forced to call off the search for missing dog walker Annette Poitras, but we'll be keeping an eye on the situation tonight as they continue to plead with the public for tips. And this wet weather is causing havoc all over the province. The regional district of Nanaimo receiving several reports of localized flooding. Crews working to prevent the water from causing significant damage will be on weather watch tonight as the storm continues. We'll see you at 11. All right, thanks, Jay. Here's a look at the conditions on the mountains. Whistler Blackcoba Base, just under 200 centimeters. Grouse, a little over 120. Cypress, close to 130. Sasquatch will be opening soon. In the interior, Revelstoke and Manning Park opening December 2nd. Powder King, a base of 160 centimeters. And Mount Washington opens December 8th. Big White and Silver Star opening November 23rd. Apex, December 2nd for opening. And Sun Peaks open with a base of close to 80 centimeters. Coming up on ET Canada, Suzanne Summers breaks her silence in her new book about being sexually harassed. Plus, move over, Avengers. Up next, we have a sneak peek of Marvel's Runaways. And guess who just dethroned Taylor Swift as the highest paid woman in music this year? I can't tell you now, but I'll tell you at 7 right after the news hour. For now, it's back to you, Chris and Sophie. We can't ruin it. We know no, we can't. that. We, we can't ruin it. We're totally dialed into pop culture. <laughs> oh, right. Uh, Christmas uh, shopping ideas. How about some yeah. transit on your T-shirt or a C-bus on your cell phone or maybe SkyTrain on your sofa? It's all available to you now. As Ted Field reports, TransLink is getting into retail, offering all kinds of ways to show your pride in public transportation. For many of us, the transit system is simply a way to get to and from work on a rainy day. But do you love it? Do you have an emotional attachment that makes you want to buy transit-themed goodies? Good idea that they start selling yeah, transit-related so. products? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Translink has started an online store selling merchandise, including models, clothing, and items to decorate your home. These t-shirts so far have been quite popular. It's... Um, 
a design you would see on the old bus blinds mm -hmm. when in the old days when the driver was finished his route he had to go out and crank this roll to display where the bus was going next. And, that was um, a highlight of the trip for me, watching the bus driver spin the wheel and change the sign. This is the actual transit map. Yeah, you'll recognize that. It's a wayfinding map that you'll see throughout the system mm -hmm. showing um, bus routes, I believe that one is. You know, I actually saw there's an advert for the little yeah. pillows and stuff. I might get one for my dad. He's a bus driver. Oh, really? Yeah. Would he maybe put it on his, underneath him when he's on the bus? Or? <laughs> Keep them company. <laughs> Some of the items include water bottles for the workout, cell phone covers, limited edition C-Bus models, and how about something for your bathroom? Wow, rub-a-dub-dub, SkyTrain on the tub. <laughs> Even have the Canada line. Oh, nice. Shower curtain with a root map on it? Shower curtain with a root map, maybe. <laughs> it's a little weird, but... For sure, yeah, that might be useful, you know. <laughs> trying to figure out how to get to work. <laughs> I think a shower curtain is kind of weird. <laughs> and a shirt that brings back cheap love boat memories. Yeah, back in the day, back in uh, probably about the late 80s, a hot date for me with my would-be wife taking the sea bus to the North Shore. Ted Field, Global News. <laughs> That's how we... That's exactly. how we locked her down. He sealed the deal. Wow. Let's get on the sea bus. Surprise, she married him after that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, hey, you want to no. go ride Job the sea bus? Sorry, Mrs. Field. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Some stocking stuffer options in there for uh, for the holidays for sure. They need an umbrella. I think they're working on it. Yeah. That would